welcome along to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Ebert Knight. And I'm Andrew Nichols. And today on the show, we are very pleased to be joined by Kyle, the building inspector. Kyle, you haven't been on the show since about 419, I think it was. Yeah, a few yeah, episodes ago. it's been ago. a while ago. Yeah. Yep. Well, thanks for coming back. We got a lot of good feedback about those episodes you did. We talked about all of the different decades of property and what the issues are with each of those. And we've got you back. Today, we're going to be talking about should you worry about buying a plaster home as an investment property? Now, this comes off the back of a message we received from an investor saying that you know they are concerned about properties made of plaster, even if they're quite small elements. They said in this instance, when they were looking at a property, that there were some elements that were made of plaster. And should they they be worried about investing in these. So in this episode, we're going to discuss whether Kyle thinks you should be worried about these, because as I said, we haven't talked about these for about 250 odd episodes. So just as a quick background though, for the listeners of the show who maybe haven't heard you talk before, Kyle, just introduce yourself and your background and also why some people are worried about plaster homes. Yep. Well, firstly, I'm a builder with plenty of years experience, over 20 years experience in the trade, and I saw a lot of these plaster systems develop, install, and then become problematic. And there's been some major changes in the building code, and that's probably the most important piece to consider, that if you're looking at a newer property that complies with the code after 2004, 2005, that's when cavity systems came into play. Prior to that, they were not common, but some properties did have them. Without a cavity, you've got the risk of water ingress, which is slightly increased, So just walk us through what that actually means for people who are Luddites like me and don't really understand how to pick up a paintbrush, let alone... Cavity something you get in your teeth. Yeah, so walk us through what a cavity is and the difference that that makes. Yeah, sure. The easiest way to actually compare it is looking at a brick house to start with. So a brick house, the brick you see on the outside is essentially the wallpaper that makes it look pretty. Behind that, there's a gap of about 40 through to 60 mil. So that way, when the moisture goes through a brick, which is porous... It can travel down, vent out, and the moisture is dealt with. So we designed these beautiful looking homes in the 80s and 90s without any form of cavity. So when moisture went through the outer layer, which was essentially paint, plaster, then plywood or fibre cement, it had nowhere to go except in. And it went straight into the timber framing. And a lot of the framing was treated and untreated at the time, but it really made very little difference. Once the moisture was in there, everything started to degrade, and hence we have the leaky building syndrome. And problems. And that was based off the fact that the framing of the property started to rot? Yes, yep. So the structural components, all the load-bearing elements on the external walls were compromised and some of the properties were essentially bulldozed and others required some very, very serious repairs. Yeah, and actually I was reading in the paper, you might have read this one, uh, there was a house I think in Monawaker or, or Nelson just recently. This poor old lady had bought this house privately off this guy who had said that it definitely wasn't a leaky home, that had some inspection. I'm sure that's what he said. Yeah, and then he provided a building report of his own, which you should never rely on someone else's building report, by the way. As it turns out, he'd removed a couple of pages in there. Um, she said it on the property. It's absolutely leaky, and now it's been a real nightmare to try and sell that property, and she's actually managed to successfully sue him now and recover damages, and now they're trying to sell the property as is where is. But one of the issues, and this is something we were talking about just before we hit the record button, Kyle, was that with a building inspection, it has to be addressed to you. Well, it does, and quite rightly so, because the inspector goes through, he does his job, he sells the report to Bob or whoever, but then Bob on sells that report to someone else, and the inspector's received no payment, and he doesn't have a contract with that person. Yes. So there has to be continuity. If your name's not on the report, pay the fee, get it put there. Yeah. 
Because as well, there is some legal, what's the word yeah. for it? My insurance policies would not step in unless I have a named client on that report. The other thing is, in the instance I was just talking about, this lady had had some pages deliberately left out of the report or not shown to her. If I'd come to Kyle directly and asked him to readdress it to me, he'd say, yeah, sure, I've done this job. It'll be in whatever, a few hundred dollars, we'll readdress it, sends it to me. I know I'm getting the full report. Yep, and all building reports should also be numbered. So that way you can actually check through. If it goes from 16 and all of a sudden the next age is 27, <laughs> there's probably an issue there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Unless they photoshopped it. There are some dodgy people oh, out there. there oh, yeah. So direct to the inspector, talk them through. Most inspectors are happy for a five-minute phone call. And that's it. I mean, I think um, because I've used Kyle for inspections of my own, and, and to be fair, I'm going to glance through them. I want to really want to understand whether or not there's any major issues. Having that two-minute phone conversation will put your mind at ease pretty quickly. I remember last time we had you on, we were talking about the differences between plaster being on top of some sort of concrete block versus other sorts of materials. How does that play into whether an investor should be worried about investing in a home that's made out of plaster? So the first step you have to do is look at that age factor again. So building code changed around that 2004, 2005 period. After that, you've got cavity systems. So that's really beneficial. Prior to that, the risk increases very sharply depending on the substrate it's on. And the only way you're going to know that is checking the construction drawings, limb report, property file, information like that. So we're looking for things like some sort of cavity system, a gap between that external layer and the internal stuff. That's certainly going to be more beneficial, but it also depends on the investment you're chasing. You know, if you're land banking, it's kind of irrelevant. There's still circumstances where you'd buy a high-risk leaky home. Yeah, or if maybe you had those skills to be able to completely reclad the property, which is not for the faint-hearted, and comes at a huge cost and huge risk, which is why there's potentially money in, in doing something like that. Um, but if on the assumption that this investor is just looking for a straightforward investment, you're going to want to see that the property's been built after the building act changed, and you might want to ask a few other questions, I guess. The sellability comes straight back into that because every investment should be purchased with the, hey, I've got an exit plan. So you can offload that property if you need to. So if it has the cavity system, it's going to be treated a lot better by pretty much everyone in the marketplace. But without it, so long as you've got the right location, it's still... Not necessarily bad. There's value there. It's just just going to be potentially discounted or eliminate a chunk of the market. Yeah, well, I've got... Oh, probably 75% of my clients would not even consider. Yes. So you, if you wipe those people out of the market straight away, she's a hard sell. And of that 25% that would look at it, you've got to be in a really strong financial position as well. So the banks will always look at this as well. If they notice that it's a building that's built within the time frame that it was a major risk, they'll want more information themselves. And, and if you are going to buy something that doesn't have a cavity system that is going to be leaky at some stage, because let's face it, they all will be leaky at some stage, they're going to want to know that you've got the grunt to be able to deal with it if that time comes. And is that the same with a brick exterior or brick cladding that might not have a cavity system? How many don't have that? If you're talking brick without a cavity, you're talking pre-1910, essentially. So you'd be talking a triple block firewall or something like that. But pretty much every brick house in New Zealand has a cavity system. So how come we started building properties made out of plaster without cavities if we already knew since 1910 that they needed to have them? The cavity was built to let the bricks breathe because we knew that was an issue. But in the 80s and 90s, we came up with these super flash paint systems and we thought a two or three micron coat of paint would magically fix it all. 
So designers looked at flashy magazines from overseas, thought we could copy it all, and for all intents and purposes, we could. Everything was fine for the first three, four, five years, and then from there, problems started to develop. Mm -hmm. And that's what the building code's all about. The building code constantly evolves and changes, and as we find a problem, we work out a solution and fix it. I just want to clarify, I imagine what this investor's looked at is something where, and we see this all the time, they've just used a plaster as a, a separate finish, so they might have used plaster over brick or, or plaster over timber or something like that, yep. but, but it's not actually what we would consider a leaky home right. type of arrangement, yeah. right? Yep, so as soon as you put it over a concrete block substrate or over, say, a precast concrete panel, aerated concrete panel, yes. you're talking incredibly low risk because yes. there's a way to mitigate moisture if it went in. Yes. yes. And just to clarify, this was a, a post-2015 yes. property, right. so okay, way right. post the changes that yeah. we're talking about. So in that case, he should not really be worried at all. It's essentially wallpaper to make the house look pretty. You'd so, be, be happy buying one of these yourself? Yeah, as long as it's at the right period. Yes, you've eliminated 99% of the and so if I've got, say I was um, unlucky enough to buy a property before I knew any of this stuff, and it was a older system, so it was a 2000 build, and it didn't have a cavity system, there are some ways that I can mitigate the risk of damage, right? Yeah, certainly. So I do annual checks on some properties where we go around every door and window penetration, all the, the ventilation from a bathroom, we check around all the seals for all of those items. And we make sure the silicon is in perfect order. Mm. Because if you get a wee crack there, capillary action, which is the surface tension of water, can actually pull itself behind the flashings and into the wall. Mm. So that's primary. You've got to check all the sealant. You've also got to check base clearances to make sure that the concrete path isn't higher than the house or against the house. So... There's a whole lot you can do. And in terms of the exterior, one of the things that I've heard is that painting every couple of years helps prolong that risk. Is that right? It wouldn't have to break down to every couple of years. You probably step it out to five, eight or ten years, okay. depending on the style of paint. Yes. But different properties require different paints. So yes. there's high-build elastomeric paints, but then there's also high-build non-breathable right. elastomeric. So it's essentially a fully waterproof paint. If you have moisture get past that fully waterproof one that cannot breathe, you can have an issue anyway. So you've right. got to be very specific in what you're using. Yes. And really it's down to a painting contractor that knows this stuff. Are there any risks with using plaster compared to using other types of cladding like a wood or a brick? Well, after the building code change or prior? After the building yep. code change. Essentially, no. So it is, once again, like a wallpaper on the outside and everything is really good. The only thing is you have more maintenance than brick because you'll be painting it every sort of eight to ten years but you'll have probably less maintenance than using cedar, which can oxidise and, and sort of grey off. Yes. And these are common styles that we see nowadays. So plaster's one, cedar's another, and, and yeah, it doesn't take long for cedar to look no, pretty worn, doesn't it? To keep that nice and tidy, you're talking every three to four yes. years, you have to do it. What do you have to do and do it? So it will need a slight sand on the surface, and then you'll have to re-coat it. And it's expensive. What does that look now. like? What is it? How do I know if I'm looking at something at it like uh, cedar? I'll, I'll drive past one and show you some old old cedar houses, and they just yeah. But the list is what it too. Yeah, oh. Cedar is typically a nice, rich, reddy brown colour, vertical timbers, and it's often complemented with exposed stone or you know natural stonework yes. or a plaster finish. So if you get the really rich, reddy brown vertical timbers, chances are it's going to be cedar. We'll have to go on a drive, Andrew. Yeah. What about in terms of it chipping? Is there any instance where plaster is going to kind of break off? I remember, actually, I won't tell that No, tell the story. Come on. We're all monks friends here, mate. So back when I was a young person, 17 years old, I stuck into my girlfriend's house 
and climbed up a you know a two story kind of thing to get in through her window. You have been known to break and enter into <laughs> females' houses for a long time, haven't you? Yeah, last one was last week. <laughs> <laughs> now, now what happened there was I had to put a chair in there, and where did you get the chair from? Oh, one of her outdoors chairs. Okay, and put it in there, and in the process of stepping on it, it kind of went into the plaster a bit <laughs> and chipped it. So therefore, ergo. Maybe plasters, maybe if it was brick, that wouldn't have happened. Maybe if you hadn't been such a creep, that wouldn't have happened. Well, coming back to this, Kyle, let me ask you, is there any issue with using plaster versus brick? Is it potentially not as durable? Well, if you had a cricket ball into it, you might crack it. But you can do a temporary repair and you're going to be repainting it every eight to ten years anyway. So it's not a deal breaker. It's not major. It's the same as breaking a window, essentially. You can do a repair and the world will not change because of it. Did you break any windows as well at William <laughs> Only a couple of hearts. <laughs> <laughs> now, Kyle, you know me, I'm not the smartest when it comes to these sorts of things. How does the water, once it gets through the bricks and the plaster, and then we've got this gap before it gets to the internal parts, you know, it kind of drips down. What if it jumps over the six <laughs> centimetre gap? Yep. Well, there's this wonderful thing called gravity. It's kind of <laughs> <laughs> new concept. It, it, it's kind of new. But, and it um, works for drips. <laughs> <laughs> it does, it does. So there's a gap of anywhere from 25 through to 40 millimetres, and I'm yet to see water jump that. And we've also got the building paper there, so if for any reason moisture did hit it, it's going to travel straight down, and then you've got the ventilation openings at the base, which help airflow and drainage. How do you know all of this stuff? I study lots. I'm a bit of a nerd. But you can easily see it on a building site when you put your hand underneath the base of the cladding. You will feel a wee plastic strip underneath the polystyrene with wee perforations in it to let the moisture out. Or if you see plaster over brickwork, you'll see the standard vertical slots at the top and the bottom of the brickwork, which are there for the airflow. So there's lots of keys there, but end of the day, don't assume that you know what you're looking at. Ask an expert. 100%. And if you're in the Christchurch or Canterbury area, Kyle's definitely somebody to check out. We'll pop your details, of course, in the show notes. Just a couple of wee summary things then, Kyle. Should people be worried about buying a plaster home as an investment? No. No, they should not. So long as they're willing to do maintenance, that's the big key. And I've seen time and time again where you actually show up to do an inspection of property, which I recognise from years ago going, oh, that needs some attention. So just because it looks super pretty on the day you go to put your offer in, doesn't mean the property has always been well maintained. So you need to know a bit of prior history to it. So what I do when I'm doing my inspections is I always ask the neighbours and people around if I have any questions or doubts, but I've got a pretty good database of properties throughout Christchurch. And in terms of someone buying something that's brand new today, because it's under the new building code, you should be fine. Exactly. Yep. Hence why we've building code changes regularly. Yep. yep. And what about what are the, the decades of concern where people should definitely be a little bit wary and get those kind of more hefty building inspections? Essentially anything pre two thousand and four. But the key element there is if I threw consent documents into the council in two thousand and four but finished my construction in two thousand five, six or seven, it could still be directly fixed. So if all the consent was applied for and done correctly before the law changed there's some dates that overlap. Yes. So that's the key that some people get caught out with. So kind of anything before 2007, make sure you're doing your due diligence on. Yep. Fantastic. Let's wrap it up there. But please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. It really does help us get the message out to more people. And hey, make sure you join us for our next two episodes where Kyle will join us to talk about due diligence, both for new builds and then existing properties as well. Thanks 
for listening to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Epic Knight. And I'm Andrew Nichols. I'm going to be back again tomorrow with even more daily strategies, tactics and insights to help you get the most. Until next time.